The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there, welcome to the Phil Hay Show, brought to you with The Athletic and the Square Ball. I'm Dan from the Square Ball, along with Michael Normanton from the Square Ball and Phil Hay here, straight from Jesse Marsh's press conference, also from The Athletic. We will get into all that in due course, because we're twice a week now, Phil. Uh, we go towards the end of the week, after the press conference, that's Friday afternoon for this one, pre-Villa. Uh, we'll get into Villa shortly, and then we react to the weekend's game as well, so we'll be getting back together on Monday to talk about that. God be praised, we have a game. We have a game. Do you know, it's been so long that there's a new press room at Thorpe Arch, suddenly. And describe that to us then, what's that look like? Um, well, it was the old sleeping quarters that were built uh, under Bielsa's reign and now, have now been converted. The, the issue at Thorpe Arch is they've never had space for the press, never like a designated area, um, which most Premier League clubs these day, do these days. So they've had to commandeer this room um, and it now has seats, it now has a proper desk for Marsh um, as opposed to just the table. I remember once... I can't remember who would have been manager, but it may well have been Brian McDermott. Someone messaged me and saying to me, I'm looking at the state of the table at the front of the press room and honestly, I own I own a business that sells office equipment and I will donate a desk to give whoever the said manager was, let's say Brian McDermott, a quality desk to sit behind. Well, now, Jesse Marsh has something that you would consider to be sort of, you know, Champions League-esque, really. We've, and, come, we've come a long way then, basically. Yes, definitely. Did, did it used to look a bit like a car boot sale, that kind of thing? Yeah, 100%. It looked like the sort of table you might find in a primary school that had been there for about eight years, yes. So after all of Bielsa's work, getting the sockets in the right place and everything... It's gone. gone. Yeah. Just erasing his memory, it's his gone. legacy. It's oh, gone. Yes. Wow, wow. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod, by the way, if you want to sign up for The Athletic. Pound a month for six months. Right, Phil, let's get into it then. You have just hot-footed it down the A1, is it, from Thorpe Arch to get here... Yes, to our studio, windy. just off Gelded Roads. What was it like then in the room? What Jesse was saying? Where should we start with this one? There was a lot to talk about because even though we've had no games um, since uh, first weekend of September away at Brentford, there is a lot that, that has happened. International games that players have been involved in. Players who were injured coming away from Brentford weren't involved or had picked up problems during the game who have been trying to get themselves fit. And... Basically, the the question of how have Leeds kept themselves ticking over in this period, it's been a good thing actually that there have been international games because it has allowed a fair few players to get away and to play with either full national sides or under-21s in the case of someone like um, Ilan Melier, helped them to, to maintain a little bit of match sharpness in what is you know such a long break that it's actually not that far off the length of the break they're going to have during the World Cup. It's about half the, the length of time Everybody was out for um, during the first COVID lockdown, although admittedly the, the added complication there was that everybody was forced to stay at home and weren't able to train together and that has been different. So they have done 11 v 11s and they have kept the training cycle going um, as they would have, have wanted to. But I, I suppose the question in Marsh's head will be, and he, he seemed very confident about this, but the question will be, how much are they going to look on Sunday like a team who have the rhythm and have the flow and, and have not just had a lengthy break that wasn't planned because this has kind of come from nowhere. You know, the World Cup is fine. You can preempt that because you know it's in the diary and Marsh said that they're going to start that by having two weeks off uh, and then we'll we'll work back up to, to full tilt in time for Boxing Day or the Boxing Day fixtures. But this one was totally out of the blue. Uh, and a few injuries to speak of then ahead of Villa. We've got the um, young man with his stubbed toe, Archie yes, Gray. Yes, Archie Gray stubbed his toe on a door at home. So not the most dramatic at-home uh, injury ever didn't fall through a coffee table or run over his foot with a fly mower or anything like have that. You, have you done any of those? But, uh, not personally, no. Um, and, and nothing as weird as... Was it Ferdinand who um, injured his knee playing FIFA? 
um, just by the way he was resting his feet on the table in front of him. Yeah, I think he over, sort of overextended his knee or his hamstring or something, didn't he, by having his leg up for too long? Yeah, I think that's right. So nothing like that. He basically just banged it on a door and he's suffered a, a small fracture to it, which is only going to keep him out for a couple of weeks. Um, but he won't be involved this weekend. How much he would have been involved anyway is obviously a, a moot point. Marsh did get on to talking about the kind of gap at the moment between the under-21s and the first-team squad and the the feeling, which I think we'd probably all share, that there are some players who are kind of falling between both. You know, you've got um, Jabby, you've got Archie Gray, you've got Sonny Perkins scoring an awful lot of goals. Are they first-team players? Are they 21s players? Are they too good for one bunch, not quite ready for, for the next? He was saying that's that's a kind of balance they're having to strike. Adam Forshaw, on the other hand, would definitely have been involved at the weekend. He's twisted an ankle, which is not serious, not severe, but he won't play against Villa or be involved against Villa. And Stuart Dallas, obviously still on the way back from his fractured femur. But, and I hardly dare say this, everybody else seems to be available. I did have, uh, I did immediately have flashbacks to Brentford at home last year where I think at one point for about 10 minutes we had a more or less fully fit squad <laughs> barring a, a, like maybe one or two exceptions and then by the end of it, it was like, actually no, everyone's oh, there, there all again. There goes Phillips, there goes Bamford. It was, that, that was the game where we thought this is the turning point. Everyone's back, the season kicks off now and then... Yeah, everything happened. I think losing Phillips and Cooper in that game was was obviously far from ideal. But I think after Bamford scoring that equaliser and then being absent again, that was the real kick in the teeth. Um, and that was that was the one that that was the one that put you kind of back to square one with your your biggest players or some of your most influential players gone. I guess the biggest question mark going into this weekend would have been over Rodrigo, who um, dislocated his shoulder against Everton. He's available, he's trained this week, Marsh says he's in really good shape. They didn't send him for surgery and I was asking Marsh whether or not that was a, a judgment call as opposed to looking at it and going, oh, he's, he's basically absolutely fine. Because we've all been following the stories with Calvin Phillips recently over at Manchester City and the fact that you know his, his shoulder has been, that he dislocated when he was at Leeds has not recovered sufficiently to stop him needing an operation and you know his, his World Cup chances are, are, are slightly in doubt because of that. So obviously the question applied to Rodrigo, is it a kind of serious dislocation and will there be implications for him further down the line? Marsh didn't seem to think so and said that really it needed kind of, in his words, conservative treatment um, just to manage it. And by looking at him this week in, in training, they seem pretty happy with him. So they've got Bamford, they've got Rodrigo, uh, they've got Nonto, who has played some games for Italy uh, during the international break. They've got, even reaching further than that, Sonny Perkins, who just cannot stop scoring goals um, at youth team level at the moment. It's funny when you pull up his soccer way page, it's just goal after goal after goal after goal. And admittedly, as I say, you know, under 19s with England, under 21s with, with Leeds, but they need goals, Leeds, um, and, you know, have a few options up there. We'll talk more in part two about where are the goals going to come from because we do have options there now. And uh, there's a bit of a spread among the players and we have Nonto, as you mentioned. Uh, first of all, specifically on Villa, talking about team selections, uh, one of the first questions there about that was was right back. Um, Ailing and Rasmus, Rasmus both in contention. Uh, can't make a wrong decision, he said. Which way do you think that one's going to go? I think you'll lean towards Christensen. Um, Christensen did have a good, a, a good performance for Denmark during the international break, probably better than any of his performances for Leeds so far. He is... He's certainly found the adjustment more difficult, I think, than some of the other summer signings, which is unexpected from my point of view because I did think that he looked like a, a bit of a banker at £10 million and, and might, might yet be 
Um, but I thought he'd probably be able to adapt a, a little bit quick, more quickly than this. I don't think Marsh will want to rush him out of the team, but in saying that, I did think that Ailing had a, a pretty good impact when he played off the bench against Brentford. I suspect that we're more likely to see a change on the left side of the two centre-backs. The bigger discussion today was almost about Llorente and, and what had gone on at Brentford and, and his part in some of the goals that Brentford conceded. And Marsh said he'd spoken to him that he still saw Llorente as very important, that he did think Llorente had had good games and, and everything else. I don't think he was trying to deny that what had gone on at Brentford was was a mess. But he said himself that when he spoke to Llorente, he talked about the need to kind of work Cooper back into the pitcher, back into the team. Cooper has, you know, very little involvement because of injury so far this season, but is fit for the weekend. And him say, Marsh saying that to Llorente made me think that there's, I thought reading between the lines there, there's a pretty high likelihood that we'll see Cooper start against Villa at the weekend. But I feel as if he will probably stick with Christensen. What do you reckon, Michael? Who would you go for? I'd be tempted to put Cooper and Ailing in, but I, I think he will, um, I think he'll leave Christensen in. And, and yeah, he more or less said in saying he wants to work Cooper back in, that's another way of saying I want to work Urente out, isn't it? You, you can't, <laughs> there's no other way of looking it, at that. It could be taken in that way, but I think. I think the long and short is the the, the beat. Yeah, it, it's that sounded to me like a, a swerve towards Cooper. And I think when Marsh has spoken previously about his centre backs, he has kind of made it clear that at the moment it's Koch on the right hand side, and that Cooper is probably preferred choice on the left if everybody's fit and available. Uh, we said in one of the uh, shows, I think it was was it last week, that we should uh, do a shot of Buckfast every time we mention Bielsa on the show. So get ready with your bottle of Bucky if you if you have one. Because I'm going to say, going right back to Bielsa, mm-hmm. he used to prefer having a lefty on the left and a right footer on the right. But what's the thinking behind that? Is it just to do with distribution and body shape, things like that? I think so, yeah, and balance. Um, he was so big on the centre-backs uh, d- distributing the ball rather than... Well, he wasn't averse to long balls, um, but it was like long balls with purpose, you know, so Leeds would play quite a few diagonals, but they'd be looking for somebody with the diagonals as opposed to just hoofing it up front. But... They also played wide a lot. You know, they did use the flanks a huge amount. So you um, a right-footed centre-back, a left-footed centre-back, it makes it easier for them, like you say, to use the body shape to open open up and, and spread the ball wide. And all, all round, I think he just saw it as the right balance, having one one and the other. Sticking with Strauch at left-back, though, you think, for now? Or do you think do you think Firpo's got a, got a chance of pushing him out? I think Firpo has got a chance. Yeah, again, he was speaking about the fact that Firpo wasn't kind of fully fit and available down at Brentford, but would be... Um, for this weekend it's a difficult call that one I think because I don't think Stroik's been bad at left back I've always just been of the opinion that because he is essentially a left-sided centre-back that it would probably catch up with him there at some point and it, it was asking a lot for, for him to con- you know to be continuously effective or you know competent in that role uh, for, it's been a lot for Furpo to do that as well in fairness though. I, I was, well, it really has my response uh, to that Phil was going to be exactly along those lines and said well Strauch hasn't really put a foot wrong has he whereas Furpo has put plenty of feet wrong no which is why it's a, a very fair debate I suppose what you have to say with Furpo is that if you are standing by him as they have this summer and this season and if you are saying that he is your left back you have to at some point play him into a little bit of form or try to play him into form or try to play him into a run of games that kind of solidify his place in the team and make him look like he should be in it otherwise what on earth is the point of having him here you literally have no left back and you're almost teeing yourself up for the scenario where it no longer works for strike and you're suddenly scrabbling about trying to fill that area I I completely see the issues with Furpo and the problems that, that have been with him previously and let's not get back into this but a left back in the summer might have been a good idea 
but he is the left back in the squad and and I I do feel like we're all of us really of the view that it hasn't worked with him so far and I think all of us unconvinced that it definitely will but I still think we need time and, and games yet to be 100% sure about which way it's going. There are quite a few um, rumours rumbling under the surface about Kai Wagner coming in in the January window. Do you think there's any merit in that? Well, it's going to be a position, I think, longer term that they're going to have to look at. When we asked about him during the summer, though, there was nothing really doing there. And, uh, and Which isn't to say that they don't like him or don't rate him. It was just that they, they were not going to get involved with that one before the end of the window. And it, it went very quickly from Furpo injuring his hip and Leeds looking Marseille and we're looking at left-backs to them pretty much closing the door on that one and deciding that they would stick with Furpo and they would make do with, with what they had to the extent that they were happy for Leif Davis to go to Ipswich, although I think that was as much about accepting that the offer Davis was getting from Ipswich was well worth him taking um, and that given his, that his contract was um, was running out at Leeds, it didn't make much sense or wasn't particularly fair to, to him to keep him around. But yeah, I, I do I do sort of feel like they're in a position where they have a left back in Furpo who hasn't settled into that position and nobody else to play there who isn't makeshift or slightly makeshift or playing out of position. You could use Harrison there, but Harrison's a winger. You can use Strike there, but Strike's really a, a centre-back. It's well, like mind the, you, ask Gareth Southgate, he uses right wingers at left back. <laughs> yeah, and to go back to uh, Ivan Tony, who we spoke about, what a call-up that was. Yes. Um, much like we were saying with the midfielder Kamara at Salzburg when it was being reported that he was joining Leeds and it was done and Leeds were saying, hmm, I don't think it is and I don't think he will be. And I kind of made the point that he might not want to buy a house in Allwood Elite quite yet. Same with Ivan Tony. I wouldn't be cancelling whatever he's got planned in November in anticipation of a seat on the plane. In the world, uh, one or two words actually about Jackie and his potential for, for a call-up. It's one of those things where you feel like Southgate's got in his mind that he knows what his squad's going to be. He's not going to start changing anything now. And maybe Harrison's time might come after the World Cup. And there's a lot of talk of Southgate not even being there at that point. Yeah, that's it. Um, which, But then again, I think that probably begs the question of what Luke and Harrison will have if Southgate isn't um, isn't head coach. Because Southgate does take a you know, specific interest in certain players in the way that he did in Bamford, um, in the way that he did in, in or, or has in Harrison without um, calling him up. They've, they've kept eyes on him pretty closely without giving him a chance. But you feel as if, with the exception of you know the odd change here or there, the England squad, particularly for the tournaments, always kind of reverts to this formula. And I think I might have said that even though Tony had had a call-up and Rashford had been left out, it wouldn't be remotely surprising if, irrespective of what goes on over the next month, when the World Cup squad's announced, Rashford's back in and, and Tony is nowhere to be seen. And I have to say, I, I just do not understand the point in calling up Tony to not play him at all. And, you know spare us the stuff about oh well you can have a look at him in training you know he's a Premier League player you've got to, got to use him yes um, still time for him uh, for the World Cup and afterwards as well he's still young is what Marsh said of, of Jackie Harrison and on the other side of the pitch Sinistera he had uh, good things to say about him yeah he had a very good international break goals um, looking good is good um, has been impressive another really decent finish away down at Brentford which was probably the highlight of an, an otherwise pretty pretty difficult afternoon He's starting to look like a, a find uh, and he's starting to look like he's got the potential to be the best of these players who've come in. I think the nice thing is that you could say that about more than one of them. You know, I, I like Aronson an awful lot. There's quite a lot to admire about Rocker, I think, but Sinistera just seems to have that thing about him. He's different to Rafinha. I wouldn't compare the two of them, but they do have slight similarities in that they're good at beating a man, they're good at way, they've got pace. 
and they can kind of do something from not a huge amount, which was you know very much Sinistera's goal at Brentford. There wasn't it wasn't on a plate for him at all. Uh, but he's he's obviously been abroad an international break, but his back is fit. I'm absolutely certain we'll start if he's okay. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Heading further up the pitch then. We mentioned in part one there. Where are the goals coming from, Phil? So Bamford is back. We have Nonto now available. Again, somebody who had good things said about him in the press conference um, just then, as did Sonny Perkins as well. So there are goals in this side, uh, you know, right across the spectrum in terms of age, experience, longevity at the club. What do you reckon then? Bamford, um, Bamford in at the weekend? Yes, I would imagine so. Uh, not, you know, absolutely not forgetting Gelhart in all this as well, because it, I think what they have is they have two experienced players who they would like to think they will get a huge amount from this season. So Bamford and, and Rodrigo. And then behind there and behind those two, there are a group of players who you can't, you can't expect or ask too much of, but who could all potentially blossom in, in quite a, an impressive way. Gelhart being one, Nonto being another, and obviously Perkins as well, although it seems to me from what Marsh is saying that Perkins is, is further back in the pecking order and I, I think absolutely categorises that type of player that we were discussing who is starting to fall now between the two squads and will want first-team football at some stage. Um, is probably finding under-21s football not easy for him, but you know it's it's not going to push him in the way that that he needs to long needs to be longer term. Nonto, the last time any of us were able to speak to Marsh was after the Brentford game when there was a hell of a lot to discuss because the transfer window had just closed. They'd ended up with Nonto having gone for Gakpo, having gone for um, Dieng over in France, having had that weird week where they were fine and they didn't need a forward and then Rodrigo had injured the shoulder and yes, they did need a forward and it was all a scramble and Nonto ended up coming in after midnight on deadline day when the, the deadline passed at 11pm. And obviously, Marsh had said previously about him, asked, is he ready for the Premier League? He'd said, no, you know, I, I'm not sure he is. And the plan was, as we've mentioned, for him to come in in a future window. It was only brought forward because neither Gakpo nor Dieng came off at, at the last minute. But Nonto has played for Italy um, in this international break. He's looked good for Italy. It's been very difficult to watch him and think to yourself, he doesn't look as if he should, to some extent, be involved. You know, I, I think if you were looking at him and saying he's an under-21s player and we won't need him this season, given the way the squad is and, and what Leeds have to choose from up front, you'd be getting it wrong, I think. Um, and Marsh said himself, he, he will be involved at the weekend. Uh, he will be in the squad. And he said they'd, that he'd kind of changed everybody's opinion of him. Not that they didn't think he was a good player, but actually he might be more ready for it than than they anticipated. And clearly on the basis that they wanted to bring him in in a later window, that was the kind of general mood with him, was that he, he would need time and he'd be a longer term project. I should say just on that point, just to interject, that Marsh in his press conference sort of reframed 
that um, statement that he made around that, wasn't it? That he was yeah, he did. The future. Yeah, no, he said, you know, I could, you could say to me now that I, I should reconsider that statement. Um, but he did try to sort of make the point that he was more talking about the fact that Nonto was somebody to work on in the longer term as opposed to impact player now. And as I say, you can't pretend that actually he was the player Leeds were going to sign in that window until the very, very last minute. But I think you've, I think they have to let him loose and it would make no sense not to. I think if he is a full Italy international and he's been trusted at that level and if he has the experience as he does of playing elsewhere, so in Switzerland, which is not a high-level high league in comparison to the Premier League, but it is still top division in the country. There are still good players at that level. Yeah, I think it, it makes sense for him to to get a chance. And, and it's the international call-ups as well that make it more exciting, isn't it? I, I was saying over on our show, like if... Um... If Leeds were trying to buy, let's say, somebody who was 18 years old on the fringes of the England squad, we'd be so excited about it, wouldn't we? But I think Marsh's comments, coupled with slight, you know, slight obscurity of the of the Swiss League versus the Premier League, kind of played it down a little bit, didn't it? Whereas, you know, he looks from what I saw a limited amount over the international break. He looks really, really useful and quite exciting. Did you see any of it? I, yeah, I saw him in. Um, saw him playing against Hungary and um, didn't watch the England game because I. I tend to make a policy of not when uh, when there are no Leeds players <laughs> involved it's uh, they, they're just so so dry those games but yeah I, I thought it was quite good it's interesting actually the um, the commentary on that game was suggesting that he'd not been given a chance at Leeds yet and I thought well it's not been any games so it seems it's a little bit <laughs> yes. it's a little bit early to be ruling him out yeah. at, this, at this stage but no, I think he, and the fact he's played at, uh, albeit in a, a lower quality of league but a men's league, uh, you know, playing with actual with actual grown ups as opposed to playing in under twenty threes yeah. football, which you see is when you see players in the under twenty threes, you see what an ma- enormous difference it is in, oh. at that level. Also, his footprint is broader than Switzerland. You've got um, Mancini's thoughts on him in Italy. I think the fact that he's brought him into the squad at the age that he has, in what is quite a transitional period for for Italy, tells you a lot. I mean, Mancini speaks very highly of him, and I don't think has any reason to if he doesn't genuinely rate him. Um, so you're not merely talking about a kind of canvassing of opinion in a lower lower level league in Europe. You know, you, you're talking about somebody like Mancini, who you know his team won the Euros. Um, saying this guy is good and I want him to be involved. I mean, they they had um, Immobile in the the Italy squad, and there was a feeling in in Italy after they failed to qualify for the World Cup that there had to be you know some sort of forward movement when it came to replacing the old guard and finding some new talent and particularly new attacking talent and they do seem to like Nonto they do seem to think that he's got something about him that actually he, he merits being involved um, with the Italy national squad which I think is pretty key you do get circumstances where you have players involved who just get a bit of a nod for a short period and actually have no business being um, being in the mix but not him I, I, I still think it will be probably prudent not to expect too much of him this season but I still do look at him and think he could be a bit of a surprise him I've now got an image of Nonto saying to Jackie keep keep your chin up kid you can get that international <laughs> recognition if you can just stick at it but his style looks really really encouraging doesn't it you can see why he's been recruited because he's fast he's direct he's got that low centre of gravity hasn't he and he's built like the old proverbial brick outhouse and also if Bamford can stay fit and stay in the team and it, and it is a bit of an if but if he does then the, the positions that are opening up for Nonto will be the sort of positions that he likes to play in and has played in so far. So he prefers himself as a secondary forward rather than out-and-out number nine. But he can also play wide as he does for Italy. And I think particularly in the system Marsh has, it's wide without calling for wingers. You know, it's it's kind of wide forwards who are tucked in and, and quite inverted, which, which might suit him. So let's be honest, he's going to be a bench player for now, isn't he? Who knows if he'll get on on Sunday. But 
I have a feeling that it might not be that long before Marsh is turning to him as an option off the bench if um, if the game requires it. And good to have exciting options off the bench as well. I think to to play into this almost the psychology of a crowd, having that feeling of someone coming on and there being a, a bit of a lift there, which not to just slag him off for the sake of it, but when it was Tyler Roberts every week, there was towards the end there was that bit where everyone went. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're here looking for, for games. Game I suspect change. even Tyler Roberts at certain <laughs> points is like, oh, you know. But, but you are looking for game changes. Like, that's what you're getting at. Like, yeah, you want somebody who's, who's going to give you something different and offer something. And people will be like, the crowd will just get lifted as they were when people saw Gellhart come in on last season. They were like, something exciting is going to happen now. And hopefully he can be an option like that as well. I do like the fact as well, and I think this will help Nonto, that the opinion of this one has sprung from this isn't really what we needed at the end of the window. And I, I and granted, that probably still stands. You know, I don't think, if you go back to, to the discussions we had after the window, we're not overly complimentary at all about the last week of it. But I think swung from that to looking at the way he's played for Italy and the amount of money he's cost, which is, you know, peanuts if I'm allowed to call it that by Premier League standards. You know, it's, For a full international? Yeah, it's like four, four to five million pounds, a lot of money in the world. But, you know, football-wise... You hardly ever see clubs spend that on players for the first team squad these days in the Premier League. It tends to be way, way above that. And I kind of think now, you know, Rocket, 10 million, Christensen at 10 million is sort of like your bread and, but- bread and butter fee, you know. Um, so if Nonto is good, if Nonto happens to be exceptional, same kind of value as Ilan Millier. And it could be a, it could be a pretty decent decent sign in that not to draw direct comparisons with them as footballers but you may seem sort of used what Melier and Nonto no I was going to say <laughs> Phil Foden actually the way that he was deployed at Man City coming off the bench like they didn't send him out on loan they just used him sparingly and built up his minutes over the course of a season or two you think maybe because he's 18 he's got time on his side to do that and just start building him up to the Premier League yeah it's slightly different at City isn't it because the depth of choice there is so massive that you're not really ever under pressure to completely flog your best kids um, even if you feel like you should and there was a lot of noise around Foden of people saying Guardiola doesn't play him enough he needs to leave you know this that and I don't think that many people were saying that but I did hear it, hear it said from time to time Guardiola's attitude was I know more than you um, which he does and you know I think the handling of Foden has been absolutely bang on really it is it, come through at the right rate and, and is I think it's probably enjoy watching him as most player as much as I do most players actually in England. He's 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 an absolute treat. Um so yeah, with Nonto that'll be the plan. And I think that's what Mars was trying to allude to, was that in the grand scheme with Nonto, it was supposed to be about you know, this kind of gradual step by step thing. That will still be the case, but he's obviously here now rather than coming in January. And, you know, if in January Leeds had signed him at a point where they had a lot of points on the board and, and were in really good shape, then again the pressure to use him it, or the pressure for on him when he when he does play is is reduced. Um, but for now, they'll they'll need to get something out of him. And elsewhere in the forward line, um, Sonny Perkins. There was a lot of bigging him up in that press conference. Um, Marsh saying he, he feels like he deserves big chances, and he's got to be knocking on the door now, hasn't he? With the amount of goals that he's uh, he's churning out at, at the younger levels, admittedly, but still, he's uh, he's not going to be too far away, is he? Well, if you're scoring goals at the, in the under twenty ones and your England youth team and everything else, then and impressing in the way that Marsh said that he was, then you have to take a forward step, don't you? And if you take a forward step, there's only really one place for you to go, which is the first team squad, unless, of course, you're going to try and loan loan players out, as Leeds have done with Charlie Creswell. I was looking back to a piece I did, I think it was a mailbag I wrote about two months ago, and just having a laugh at a sort of throwaway line that I put in there saying something on the lines of, 
people at Thorpe Arch have been really impressed by Sonny Perkins. He'd only been in for a, a week, a couple of weeks, but he was one of those who, he, this happens from time to time, people will say, he's been good. You know, well, just on the quiet, we'll say, oh, he's, he's been really impressive without making a, a big deal of it. And he has been, and he scores and scores and scores, and they're still sorting out compensation with West Ham as far as I'm aware, unless it's been done very, very recently, but it was still to be um, agreed. Although I don't think it's going to be a massive amount because of the contract that he was offered at West Ham. I don't think they'll be paying hideous amounts of cash for Perkins, but he's a good one. He's been a good one to capture, I think. Is he sort of a second forward then? Or is he a striker or is he an advanced uh, midfielder? It's hard to tell, isn't it, at this stage? Seems to me to be more of a second forward, but again, looks pretty versatile. It looks like he could be useful in a, in a couple of positions. Do you think there's still a hole in the squad for all of these attacking players? We don't seem to have an actual Bamford replacement, do we? It feels like when he's not there, we change our style of play to an extent. I still feel like they want to think that Rodrigo is that man. I'm still not convinced that Rodrigo is that man, although I can't get away from the sense that Rodrigo tends to look best when he is at nine, as opposed to anywhere else in the team. So that's not to say he is an out-and-out nine. I just don't think there's anywhere in this team, and likewise in the team that Bielsa had, um, I don't think there's anywhere that he suits better. How old is Rodrigo now, and how long does he have on his contract? He's 31, and he has another two years on his contract. Um, So... I think you'd have to say that if this one's going to work, it has to work now, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I, obviously, it's leading towards the question of would they bother extending it at that age, in that stage of his career? Is a very, very good question. A very good question and something they'll have to think about. Is that two years from this summer just gone? Or two yes, years? Yeah. yeah, sorry. Right. So, um, so he's at the same stage as Jack Harrison? Um, yes, yeah. Harrison obviously being considerably younger than him and far more resale value is the player you'd be prioritising if it came to, to time to a contract. Rodrigo, they're going to have to think about the fact that when his contract is up, he will be 33. When, it, at that stage, will he, will he have done enough? Will he have played well enough for them to consider keeping him? I mean, I guess his own his own earning potential and earning power is diminished as, as he gets older. But I think the bigger consideration will be, has he found a way to fit in this team or has whoever the head coach is, you know, Marsh as it is at the moment, have they found a way to make him fit? Because that's been the, the story with Rodrigo, isn't it? That you've had this player who does have a lot about him and does clearly have talent and and has played Champions League level in Spain with, with Valencia and it just hasn't felt right. And, you know, to, to go back to the piece that uh, one of our old co- my old colleagues, Tom Warvel, wrote right when he came in, he, he said, you know, he, he's coming from a team who don't press and a team who don't really do what Bielsa's team as it was then do. And obviously Marsh's team are... are um, pressing side as well is this going to work and I'm still of the mindset that it hasn't really yeah I mean, mind you Marsh's football uh, you can sort of see the difference between that and uh, Buckfast uh, Bielsa's football in that Bielsa's was non- it was non-stop running it was non-stop pressing and man to man yeah non-stop closing closing down and the spare man always seemed to be up front as well because of the way that the formation works you leave the you know the two centre-backs have got one centre-forward to deal with whereas with Marsh's it seems like that the pressing is a lot more targeted and um, sporadic versus Bielsa's, which was non-stop. Yeah, it's the picking your moments to go, isn't it? It's yeah. the springing of traps. Um, but I still look at various players and think that when it comes to pressing, Rodrigo is not the best of them and it's probably not a kind of inherent strength in the way that it is with somebody like Brendan Aronson, for example. Just going back to Perkins momentarily, what do you think his pathway looks like from this point now where he's banging in goals for the 21s and at the England junior levels? Where does he go this season? Next season, what does that look like? 
Well, Marsh was saying that there is going to come a, a stage where if it carries on like this for Perkins, he, he's going to have to find him some form of first-team role. Um, there is there is definitely this group who are falling in between at the moment. You know, as I say, almost too good for the 21s, but not yet opening up um, for, the, um, for, the, for them with the first team. So I guess you then come into the debate about do you send him out? Can you give him enough minutes to make it worth his while sticking around? Is there room in the squad for Nonto and Gilhart and Perkins? Can you play all of them? Can you use all of them? Can you spread minutes between them? Are they totally different players? Are they essentially the same or versatile in the same ways? Um, I think this probably goes back to Michael's point. In Bamford, you have somebody who you say, number nine. You know, every day of the week, number nine, that's where you would, would play him. Um, that hasn't always been the case in his career. Uh, it was different in Middlesbrough when he was scoring a lot of goals for Karanka up there. They used to use him out wide on the right and get him to cut in and, and shoot with his left. But these days, and at the moment, it's it's nine with Bamford. Everybody else, it's a kind of battle for positions, isn't it? Funny when you weigh up Nonto and Perkins against one another, because I've just looked at their dates of birth and they're only basically three months apart. And yet you look at Nonto as somebody who seems to be that much further on. And it's similar to the, the than Perkins, sorry. And it seems to be similar to the comparison that I made that I couldn't believe that Aronson was younger than Jack Clark because Aronson seems that much further along. Is that is that down to going out and getting first team football then, as Michael described it earlier on? It's part of it. It's also down to Italy being transitional at the moment. And I, I, I suppose the way I would put this is, does Nonto get into their Euro winning squad? He probably doesn't. You know, So if, if Italy are still in vogue like that and are still in, in that kind of form and that sort of style then he's probably down in the under-21s, isn't he? And, you know, I, I don't know what the structure of Italian football is like at youth level, but it's incredibly competitive um, in England. You know, the under-21 squad, the under-19 squad. Perkins will be looking to make that jump as soon as he can, no doubt about it. But you have you have really, really talented England youth players at, um, in, the, in the youth team squads. I suspect that Nonto is ahead of him. I would have thought he, he will certainly be ahead of him when it comes to the amount of first-team football he's had because of his time in Switzerland. And that was the point. You know, that was when when he left into Milan and said to said to them, I don't want to take a, a contract with you because I'm not convinced that there's any pathway here. I'm not convinced that you're going to use me. And he'd seen other players who had either taken the same attitude or had, had not had the, the kind of openings that they thought they might have done. FC Zurich was his option, Switzerland was his option. He went there knowing that he wasn't necessarily going to start straight away, but he was going to play and he has and it'll have been good for him physically, it'll have been good for him technically. And I think on you know when you consider that, that Marsh is saying Nonto is going to be in the squad this weekend and Perkins, by the sounds of things, won't be, um, again, to, to read between the lines there, I think you can see who Leeds consider to be a little bit further up the ladder. It's almost a shame we're not still in the days of the... Um emergency loan window that we used to have which was <laughs> never an emergency really was it and when we used to use it it was just signing, hated, signing some players I hated the emergency loan window because it meant that the transfer window never closed <laughs> and transfer stuff never ever stopped it was just you would love it it Tom. was just constant um, and also it was pretty rare for emergency loans certainly those incoming at Leeds to make any sort of material impact um, not to say none of them ever did and there were a few exceptions and a few good signings um, but I thought it was a good thing to get to get shot of that. And the thing is, you, you still have the option to send players out on loan. I think what it does is it forces clubs to think a bit more seriously about doing it. You know, are you going to commit to sending Creswell to Millwall for a decent period of time where he's going to play a lot, hopefully, and, and develop, as opposed to just 30 days where at the end of it, you might say, yeah, not bothered. 
or um, it's not really working bringing back or the other the, the club who signed him might say I don't really want to spend more money on this guy we haven't used him too much having had all of like three four weeks to, to settle in I think this is a, a better system and I suspect with Perkins if he if he is stuck if he, he's kind of stuck in that limbo where he's looking for first team football and Leeds can't really give it to him then yeah I mean a loan at some stage would, would make total sense Quiz time for you now then gentlemen Oh go on uh, So if you caught the presser, you'll be aware that um, Orta went for dinner with Angus. Presumably Radrazani was there. Jesse Marsh was there. They had a chat about everything as they do. It seems to be a six-weekly thing, he was saying. Uh, they went to yeah, Berica, uh, which is a restaurant in Leeds. And I'm now going to question you about a couple of uh, menu items. All right, just to throw a little story in about that. <laughs> um, Orta used to do this thing, and I don't know if he still does it, Ellen Road, called the halfway line game. Uh, there's a floor in the stadium, office part of the office block, that's been painted with... Football, like a football pitch, you know, it's got they're they're like white, artificial grass down. White lines, yeah. that's right, yeah. Um, so what they used to do was they would have a competition with the staff uh, and you'd have to roll the ball, roll a football uh, and try and hit the halfway line. And whoever got closest used to win, I think, £100 worth of vouchers for one of two restaurants in Leeds, of which um, Berica was one. I've never been. Well, um, let me test you with the, the menu. I've got the menu in front of me then. Um, you can each have a guess about how much stuff costs. Uh, we'll go through different courses. Uh, so just on the appetizers menu... How much do you reckon the bread with organic olive oil is and for your for your starter? What do you what do you reckon? Five ninety five. Well, I'm I'm gonna go six. Six ninety five. Oh, Phil's closer. It's a fiver. Mm-hmm. I hate it when people yeah, too bad. um guess too high. Right, we'll move on to the um the classic tapas menu now then. One of the pricier items on this menu, pulpo, which is the grilled octopus with potatoes and pimenton de la vera. How much do you reckon that is the old uh, octopus tapas? Tapas dish. Um, I'm going to go nine ninety five. I've got a penny more. <laughs> Eighteen pounds ninety. Ouch! Oof. For a single tapas dish. For, yeah. For a wow. Single... That's why the that's why the um, vouchers were a hundred quid. <laughs> yeah. And finally, then the the classic um, tapas patatas bravas. This is the crispy potatoes in spicy sauce. Nice that um, tenner. That's got to be that's got to be less than a tenner. Eight quid. Correct, Michael. Seven pound ninety. Oh, well done. Good. Uh, very good. Dodge the octopus. Have yourself a uh, get yourself a lolly. Well done. To the actual uh, important part of that, which was the meeting and the chat that they had, and Marsh talking about the fact that he's a very open manager and he talked openly about the prospect of Orta leaving. And this was spoken about at Iberica when they went for their meal. Jesse also said today that he would not be leaving. He said there's if he got enough from anywhere in the world, he wouldn't leave. Was his the way he phrased it? Oh, you mean. Marsh said that about himself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, just just so we don't get confused here. Um, there is obviously a link at the moment between Victor Otter and the sporting director job um, at Chelsea. So when Marsh was talking about that, he was saying, I can say unequivocally that um, Victor Otter is very happy here. Um, I'm hopeful he'll stay. Uh, it's been a slightly odd process at Chelsea um, in that Todd Bowley, new owner down there, has been trying to get a sporting director but has had... I kind of encountered some pretty hard work trying to do it. There was the talk of um, Christoph Freund at RB Salzburg, them um, recruiting him to take that job. That didn't happen. He's staying at Salzburg. Um, and no, nobody is denying that Arthur is somebody on the radar. If you revisit the interview that we did with Andrea Radrazani during the summer, you'll see that there's already quite a strong relationship between him and Todd Bowley at Chelsea. seems to like Bowley a lot. Um, they dealt very, very closely over the Rafinha deal that didn't happen, but was essentially lined up and good to go had Rafinha not dug his heels in and insisted on going to, to Barcelona. 
So all to be in link for that job means to be seen where it goes and, and whether or not um, anything moves forward with that. Marsh was saying that he thought Alter would stay, but then spoke about himself, as in Marsh spoke about Marsh, and said that, yeah, he likes it so much at Leeds and he likes the way things operate there that there is literally no job in world football he would accept, no coaching job he would accept if he was offered it right now. Great that, Phil. Sorry, I was still looking at the menu for uh, Iberica, so I didn't catch all that. But what, did... what else is catching your eye? Well, I'll ask you in a minute because we'll, we'll maybe close out, close out the show on, right, uh, yeah. on another couple yeah. of items off the menu. So no cheating in the meantime, no Googling. <laughs> he did mention, did uh, did Marsh, that he had an agreement, as it were, with uh, with Orta that if he was to take the job, Orta would stay while he was at Leeds, which I found interesting. It was a bit tongue-in-cheek, that, and I think the conversation about it when they went out for dinner was a bit tongue-in-cheek. Marsh, I think, it accepts that if there is a job on offer, somewhere like Chelsea, and it's much bigger money, which I think it definitely would be, then obviously Orta has professional decision to make, personal decision to make. He does have a family Alter, um, Clint Young Sung, Victor Junior. So, you know, like with everybody, as Marsh said, everybody has these opportunities that come up. Everybody has contractual commitments. Everybody has ambition, you know, this, that and the other. See how it how it plays out. But it isn't a secret that Alter, it, he was very much Alter's choice. It was Alter who'd analysed a, a load of coaches in Europe. It was Alter who, via the data, had liked very much what he saw of Marsh and had pushed that appointment um, as Bielsa's successor. So it seems to me that, you know, Marsh's position at Leeds is stronger and is probably healthier with Alter in the building. Given that you've got such an ally in him, um, you would much rather have him around, 100%. But um, I think it's safe to say that Alter is unlikely to say no to a job that he really fancies on the basis that he, he should be sticking around for, for the head coach. But I also think it would be a pretty big decision for him to go. Yeah, even on a personal he's, he's, level. He's pretty tied to Leeds. I was going to say, with, with a young family and having just moved, apparently, you know, you're not yeah, going to want and, to uproot and, the kids, are you, all the time? And I don't feel yet as if things have settled enough at Chelsea to know if that's a club where you want to go and be sporting director. You'd want it for the money. The, the money's going to be good. There's no doubt about that. But it's going to take time before everybody can say for sure how Chelsea operate with Bolly's owner. You know, what what is that going to look like how volatile is it going to be in comparison to how volatile it tended to be for managers and head coaches while Abramovich was was owner down there but I can understand why they would be looking at him and, and why they like him and I hear all the criticism of Alter some of it I've shared over the years but some of what he does is good and some of what he has done at Leeds has been very very good not, not every, you naturally look at the transfer um, side of things and there have been some deals that have been great there have been some deals that have not been great but as director of football your remit is a lot broader than that and covers a, a fair few stools well beyond um, the transfer market and when you speak to people in the game agents people at other clubs and so on there are plenty of people who speak really highly of the way he operates and, and what he does so yeah not a surprise if, if they are seriously thinking about it when Bielsa was here to have another have another bit of bookie. Um, is there's that three or four shots you've had now. <laughs> I am going to bring some in at New Year. I think we should just get absolutely leathered. <laughs> <laughs> but Canero is uh, drinkaware.co.uk, by the way. <laughs> used to speak about having other managers in mind for if if and when Bielsa left. Do they have a similar list for if and when Victor Alter leaves? Like will they will they have people already in mind to think, well, the next person might be Whoever. Well, what about the 49ers as well with that? There's another... Well, everybody would factor in in the way that um, that they would do for a head coach's appointment as well. You know, the, you canvass the, the thoughts of your shareholders, particularly your, your major ones. They will undoubtedly have an idea of who else is out there and who they could go for. And it will be an extremely appealing job. 
um, if if Otto was to go. As I say, I, there's nothing at this stage to say that he will. So we're being a bit preemptive with this one. But I've just mentioned how you know, how wide the remit is of a sporting director or director of football. So it stands to reason that you have to be as prepared to replace your director of football if you lose them as you are your head coach. You know, you, you've got to be in a position where you understand who can fit in quickly and, and who can work within the framework that you set for the club, you know, within the budget, within the, the style or the, the type of players who you want to recruit. I don't think if Leeds found themselves replacing Orta, they would want a complete um, clearing of the decks at all. I think they would want a lot of what's in place to to carry on. So yeah, they, they will know what's out there. And don't forget that below Orta, they've got other recruitment people as well who know the market. Interesting to see what happens with the 49ers as well, with the, uh, the dollar being so strong against the pound at the minute. And uh, it feels like things are quietly sort of I don't know, rumbling into action, doesn't it, with regards to to those lot? Like we're going, we've got um, Parag Marate, who's going to be doing a Q and A at the Leeds United Bay Area get together, which is at Levi's Stadium um, for the Villa game. They're doing a breakfast opening there. Uh, Leeds fans over in California will be able to get together and uh, and watch that game and and hear from from Marate. I think a bit of clarity from him would be useful to know where the 49ers are, where they see themselves at the moment, what the timeline is. I mean, he never speaks in much detail about the specifics of what they're planning. You know, investment-wise, takeover-wise, he, he he tends to be careful not to let too much of that out. Uh, but it, given that the given that 2022 is kicking on towards 2023, and this option falls early 2024, it's coming to the point, really, isn't it? Um, or or will do before long. And there doesn't seem to be, to my mind, any sign of the 49ers stepping back. Put it that way. Mm. Next summer, then maybe would you if you if you were to put your mortgage on it. But you're, I, I'm, I'm, you're ever increasing mortgage. Ever increasing mortgage, yeah. No, I'm absolutely not putting my mortgage on when exactly this will happen. There was a point last year where I thought it would have happened much sooner than it has already. Uh, but it's there in the background and I still think it will. On to other matters then. And uh, murals, you've written a, an article which is on the site, uh, The Athletic, about um, the murals in Leeds. Um, yes. And I guess another way to fill the the, the, <laughs> the gaping chasm of the last four you weeks. You said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. said it. I spent a day going around all 19. The, the Legion United Sports Trust have done this amazing map online that gives you the locations of them all. And how you go around it in the order that you decide to do it is entirely your choice. And it isn't like a, a sort of natural flow. You have to kind of pick and choose where you go. But I do love the fact that as you go around, you start to see more and more the way in which the kind of lasting impression and lasting legacy of some of the, the most important people um, in the club's club's history and particularly representing the most important periods or the best periods of it. Um, you know, so Wilkinson, although never as much of Wilkinson as you would expect for someone who made such a kind of critical difference to the, the development of the club, but, you know, representations of his players, representations of Bielsa and that squad, which is quite... Um, I mentioned about melancholy, really, because that squad is rapidly coming to the end, isn't it? You know, it isn't finished and it isn't done. But there's the, you know, there's the the mural of Luke Ailing um, that uh, Andy McVeigh has done on Whitehall Road. You know, uh, Ailing is not quite last man standing, but it's starting to get to that point. And that's a really interesting one because it talk it's the mural of his goal against Huddersfield, and it talks about it being the last goal before the world stopped going round and it does feel a little bit like that. You know, you, even though things have kind of got back to normal, there's some stuff that has changed and doesn't feel like it's ever going to revert to exactly like it was in, in 2020. But it's it's just helped. That that sort of birth of, of street art and, and growth of street art has just helped to give the city so much personality and identity, I think. And and you, you can't help walk around and feel 
like the city's properly proud of its football club, as it should be. You know, it, it genuinely is. Because I drive past the one in um, in Guiseley. That's the one of the, on the side of the Yorkshire Rose. Pub, yes, um, which is actually it's closed down at the minute and boarded up. Um, presumably, like the license has come up there, the uh, the landlordship, and, and nobody's taken it at the minute. And my heart skipped a little bit when I um, when I drive. Well, I drive past it all the time. But when I first saw it, and I thought, oh god, I hope somebody new doesn't come in and like paint over the wall or anything like that because that's the one with Revy Wilkinson and Bielsa on the side of it that's right I, I met up with Adam Duffield who goes by the name of Meds One um, in, in the art world and he w- he's been responsible for four of them but the one that people probably know most about aside from Hernandez on the side of the uh, the pub in town is the Champions mural that he did with Matthias Clake on the wall outside Ellen Road's East Stand and he said that you know Clake came up with that idea and they drew up the design and he specifically kept all the paperwork for it or all the, the, the drawings for it because he was thinking to himself at some stage this is going to get defaced and I'll need to go back and um, and touch it up. And likewise, there's there's um, one in Holbeck, the park in Holbeck, which was done primarily because it was just otherwise, this underpass was otherwise completely covered in graffiti and it looked a mess. Um, the council did want some kind of direction towards Ellen Road, you know, kind of steering, you, steering the crowd in the right direction. More than anything else, they wanted it to look nice. They wanted it to look better. And a guy called Andy Sykes painted that one. And he said, it, it's never been touched. You know, it's never been touched. It's never been defaced. It's never been graffitied over. And that seems to go for every single mural. You can't find any evidence at all of any damage to them, which you would think in Leeds, well, of course not. You know, why would people do that? But there are idiots everywhere. And there are people who will just do it to, to spite other people and spite the people who've made the effort to, to paint them in the first place. And yeah, it, it was noticeable that they're all really clean and it really did, to my mind, it really did underpin that thing they quite often say about, you know, high quality street art or positive street art, that it it's good. It's good for places like um, Adam Duffield said, it's the sort of anti-broken window theory. The more of that street art you do, the more people want to look after it. And Andy Sykes, who did the one in Holbeck, said, he went to have a look at it one day and he's got, um, I didn't meet him in person, so I've never never seen him in the flesh, but he said he's got quite a painter's or artist's look, kind of long hair and everything else. And he said he was stood by it having a look and one of the locals came up to him and said, don't even think about touching that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, how people get protective over stuff like that? You know, and what, what, yeah. do you, what do you think it brings to the city? For me, I just love seeing Leeds United in the in Leeds again because I think back to the Bates era when even really basic stuff like the club shop was pulled out of the city centre and it, it disappeared from view entirely did the football club. It was, because where it is, it's, it's not far from the city centre, but it is out on a limb and it is a bit of town that, truthfully, you don't go and visit other than to go to the football. So it, it, to have it spread across all of Leeds again, and, and these aren't just city centre, rather that, you know, the, the murals do span right out across the, the kind of wider area now. So I, I think it's brilliant just, just to see them. And you, some of the ones that you just come across, they kind of take you by surprise, some of them, because they're not in... They are just on the side of random random buildings like pubs and stuff. And you kind of, you if you've not enough seen it and you're going to drop something off with someone in Leeds and you go, oh, there's Vinny. There's oh, Calvin who plays for Man <laughs> yeah. City now. Yeah. It, 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 tell, it tells stories though, doesn't it? And it does. even even on the Calvin one, you've got um, Albert Johansson and Lucas Radaby. So, you know, that kind of diversity message. And the, the you know, three of the most important black players, you know, other, others as well through the years, but certainly three who've, who've had a, a huge impact on Leeds. And, and it tells stories. The artwork, that, that's what it does. It, it was interesting. There was no kind of jealousy or rivalry, I didn't think, between any of the artists. It wasn't a case of anybody saying, oh, mine's better than his, or, or you know, his was just copied from here, or that one was lazier, that no effort went into it. And all of them said 
they absolutely love the one at Hyde Park, which is Bielsa's face looking out over with the, the quote about, you know, a madman with new ideas, looking out over the, the crossroads below. And I think it was Phil Harris who did the one you were talking about um, on the Yorkshire Rose and, and also another one on Meanwood Road who said, you see that and even if you, ha- well, it, I think especially, if you have no idea who he is or what he's done or what the point of that is, you'd want to find out. You'd look at it and say, I want to, like, what is this? I want to know know who this guy is and, and why it is that he's got this painting on the side of the wall. Maxi Rodriguez visited it uh, recently. I don't know if you saw that I was, Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah, he was photographed in front of it, wasn't he? But that is what you do, isn't it? You come over here and, and you go looking for that stuff in the same way that if any of us went over to Rosario, you'd go looking for the, the street art there, wouldn't you? And there are others in the pipeline. The, the Supporters Trust are about to do one of um, Domatio's goal in the San Siro, which is nice. And... You know, I, I just think it's it's kind of lasting memories, isn't it? That's falling by the wayside soon, isn't it, as well? The San Siro getting knocked down. Well, there you go. Won't be lost <laughs> completely. Yeah, time stands still for uh, for no man, eh? Uh, right, back to the menu of Iberica before we close out the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask them Villa on it anyway. They're not. Uh, you'll be looking forward to going back, though, before we get on to Cured Meats. It's to, um, to Ellen Road? Yeah, I can't oh, wait. Massive, cannot massively. wait. Cannot wait. Yeah. I was even thrilled to see Jesse today. That, that sounds harsh. I don't mean it in that way. <laughs> I mean, I just mean because it was... It, I'll it, tell him. Because it meant the return of football. I was like, yeah. oh, yes. This is familiar. This is the Leeds manager yeah, talking yeah. about football again. Brilliant. I think psychologically, I prepared myself properly for the World Cup coming. It's going to be weird, that period. But, you know, you you have it in your head that that's in the diary and that's what's going to happen and there's going to be this long open space of, of nothing going on. But this one has caught us all by surprise. And it's it's important for them to get going, Leeds, isn't it? It's important for them to play well at the weekend and, and to get the results ticking over again. Part of me wonders whether... It's not a bad thing that it's been so long since Brentford because you have to think that little bit harder to remember any of it. Um, but it's, it's like looking back on a, on an old relationship, isn't it? Like your teenage girlfriend, you forget why you broke up in the first place. And you, I, I, that was that was nice. Wasn't over it? time, you find yeah. yourself thinking about Sinistera's finishing, going, "Wow, well, it's worth it." You know, worth it, <laughs> worth the trip for that. And you know, Villa, I feel very much fall into the category of team that you should be 100 percent competing with this yeah. season. Yeah, it, we were saying um, this week when we were previewing it that it's, it's one of those games that kind of just falls into that bracket of lower mid-table teams that can all beat each other. Hopefully, we just get enough of them going our way this season that we don't have to get antsy again. Yeah, and, and I don't feel as if they've changed wildly from last season. So I would like to think that lessons learned from that awful night, Marsh's first home game against Villa, will actually be quite pertinent and quite useful when this comes around, notably not just leaving Coutinho to do what he likes and um, play wherever he, he feels like it. There is pace in their team. There is threat in their team. They, I think they have good players, personally. I'm, I'm a little surprised that it's been as difficult for them this season as it has been so far. But yeah, winnable. We're on Twitter at the Phil Hayes Show if you want to say hello. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. To get on The Athletic, pound a month, six months. Go on, Phil. I was just going to say, um, worth mentioning as well, that there will not be a Jesse Marsh on the touchline. This weekend. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Yes, um, his ban from the Brentford game kicks in. It was supposed to, um, well, the, the idea was that it would have been imposed um, earlier in the month, but obviously there haven't been any games. Forest postponed, Manchester United postponed as well. So it will be this weekend. He didn't seem to think it would be a big problem. Um, he said actually he quite open to the idea of watching the first half of games from a higher vantage point. Um, I was thinking back to Steve McLaren, always doing that any time he came with, with any club, but Derby's the one that um, sticks in my head. He'd come and sit in the press box for the first um, first half and watch Ronaldo Vieira run riot, and then you know hot tail it down to um, to the touchline for the for the second half. Marsh was saying as well that 
when he was at Leipzig and it was all ending for him, his last three games he watched from the kitchen in his home because he had COVID. Uh, which and as he, you know, he kind of said it's about as miserable I think an experience as he's ever had. But you have staff. That's why he has Rennie Manich, He has Mark Jackson. They all know the drill. They all know what's going on. He can speak to the players beforehand. They can see them at half time. It's probably not going to be um, a big factor, and it will keep his nose clean. I enjoy the fact that on the ban he said he didn't. He didn't agree with the decision not to give some a penalty. He didn't agree with the decision to send him <laughs> off, but he respected the decision to ban him. And he's like, essentially, this is all wrong. But I'm not going <laughs> to not going to fight him. That's, he's gone a bit Bielsa there, actually, in that he felt as if you could pretty much the authorities have a difficult job. You could they? pretty much impose anything on Bielsa, regardless of how unfair it was, and he would say the, the authorities make the decision. And I accept it, and that would that would be that. But I think this is one that's worth just you know he's probably done the right thing to just um, sweep it away and and get rid of it because while it was a very very contentious decision, and while I think it should have been VAR reviewed, the more you carry on like that on the touchline, the more you're going to incur punishment like this. Anchovies. I back, love anchovies. You right, know, back, to, black, back to the, the Iberica. One, the brown ones are the white ones. Just to refresh your memory, if you weren't listening closely, uh, Iberica, the restaurant where they all went for their meeting, the. Uh, the directors and Jesse Marsh were just picking menu items here. Uh, we're going back to the appetizers bit. Anchovies, what do you reckon? How much? Are they in a, like a vinegar? Start up. It actually just says anchovies. There's no other uh, explanation. I'm, I'm guessing they're being like a vinaigrette type well, thing. They, they the, nice uh, them, I like them. Um, well, boccarones uh, are underneath. That's anchovies in vinegar. Oh, okay. So these uh, are like just, a fresh grilled me. one. Eight pounds. <sighs> Go for a bit more. Nine. I was going to tell you, say, the, the, the bocca, uh Boccarones are actually £7.90. That's the ones in vinegar. But ah, the, right. So but the ones above it, £13.90. Ouch. Yeah. We'll spin on to the cured meats now, the, the Hamon Iberico. <laughs> Go to the co-op. I buy anchovies for like 79p a can. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the Hamon Iberico, the cured ham, the best one that they've got on the on the menu, the, the Juan Pedro Domecq. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yeah, oh, big I, fan of his. Yep. <laughs> how, much, how much for a portion of that? <laughs> if it's the good one, probably like 15 quid or something. 20 Twenty pound, fifteen seventy five. Oh, Congratulations, Mike. Michael. He's been let, before. Let's finish on a big pan of rice. The paella, the seafood paella for two. It's got prawns. It's got squid. It's got langoustines. What are you saying? You, you're going mm. total price, not price per person. It's, this is for two. It's for two people. It's yeah, forty quid. I'm going to go more. Fifty. Thirty nine pounds ninety. Yes. Well boom. done, Phil. Hey, <laughs> there you go. That wraps up the show for this time. We'll be back after the weekend to review Villa. We'll speak to you then. The Phil Hay Show. 